book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter number 2. I want to thank Pastor and Brother John, one, for the opportunity to preach because obviously it's my first time and I'm quite nervous. So as you come to the book of Ephesians, you see several things in the first, like the context of Ephesians, is you see that main theme is salvation. We also see that there are several things that we have in Christ. In chapter 1, verse 3, we see that we have spiritual blessings. We have redemption through his blood in verse 7, and inheritance in verse 11. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at who he is in light of who I am. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, And you hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity you've given me to stand and preach your word, Lord. Please give me boldness, calm my nerves. I pray that uh, the congregation will not see me, Lord, for they'd only see you. Thank you for all you've done. Just saying, amen. At midwinter this year, um, Pastor Clark came up and he started talking about who Christ was to you. And he stood up and he named several, for several minutes, he was naming Christ in different ways, like Redeemer. And I was thinking about that and I was like, so how, he asked the question, how long could you name names of Christ? And so tonight we're going to be looking at six of those. In verse 1 it says, and you hath he quickened who are dead in trespassing sins. First thing we see is that he is our quickener. In Psalm 119, verse 50, it says, This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The word quicken means to make alive or to revive. If you see, <clears throat> the, word, the word quicken, there has to be a previous state in order to be quickened from. In verse 2, you see, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We see that our past first was sin. The only one who could quicken us from our sins is Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, when someone would commit a sin, it wasn't we couldn't just pray and get immediate access to the throne room of God and just our sins be forgiven. There had to be blood spilled. When Christ died on a cross, he he was the only perfect lamb, and he was the one. That's how we can be free from sin forever. In Psalm 119, 37, the psalmist says, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. This shows us yet again that we are quickened from our sin. Not only are we quickened from our sin, but we're also quickened from our past. A common misconception among believers is that because of their past, they're too far gone for God to save them. Brother John said this a couple weeks ago, that we are too far gone. God has gone too far for us to be too far gone. 1 John 1, nine says that if we are confessed to our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I feel, that, I feel like most people who think that, it's because Christians have told them that. It's not necessarily us physically telling them that, but side looks like you don't belong here because of their past. This is like the prodigal son. Uh, the second son, when the first son came home, he was asking why the fatted camp was not killed for him. 
and the father explained it in a very good way where he said, you I have always, but, ugh, sorry, I'm just, mm. we'll take our Bibles and turn there, it's in Matthew. I'm sorry about that. I don't remember where it is right now, but he said, okay, we'll just move on. Let's, okay, thank you. Luke chapter 15. All right. 11 says, and he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. In that verse alone, you can see that the second son already received his blessings. And so, if you skip down to verse number 23, and it says, And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto them, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make Mary be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, was lost, and is found. When a sinner comes to receiving grace, they feel a weight lifted off of them. Uh, oftentimes what the devil does is he tries to hold that weight back over, saying, Because of what you've done, God can't choose you. That's not at all true. This proves that because this is a parable, earthly story with a heavenly meaning, just showing Christ's grace. The pastor talked about this this morning, where if you get a view of God, your view of other people will fall into place. So if we view Christ, if we view people as Christ views them, as sinners saved by grace, we won't need to harp on them for what they've done in the past. The second thing we see is that Christ is rich in mercy. If you look at verse number 4, Ephesians chapter 2, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Several people have said this before me, but uh, it takes grace to love a person like me. Like Just thinking about that and what I've done, Brother John has said this several times. I know I'm referring to Brother John quite a bit tonight. But he said that sinning against God is literally spitting in the face of his sacrifice. As Christ was on that cross, he took our sins. And us going back into those sins is basically telling God that we don't want it. Like we don't care if it offends him. The word mercy means a compassion or forbearance toward especially, especially shown especially toward an offender. And if you think about that, Going against Christ's law is an offense. And so that's why it's through mercy. All through the Bible we see examples of God's mercy on people. In the Psalms alone we see 99 of the 261 times mercy is mentioned. 
The second thing we see that Christ is rich in is in grace. In verse number 7, the Bible says, where, oh, wrong one. That in the ages to come, he might show forth the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Grace is not, grace is undeserving. So it's a gift of God and cannot be obtained through works. The reason is it is not of works because if it was, we'd be very boastful. Because men at the very nature, we are very selfish, born in sin. And says, when Christ died on the cross, he bled on the tree for our sins. Not because he had sin and perfect. He was perfect. A good way to see God's grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. The third thing we see is that he is our ordainer. In verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God's will for our lives is way better than anything that we could ever dream up for us. When God created the world, it was created in perfect order. There was nothing amiss. There was no sin, no thorns, no weeds. It was because of our choices that sin now entered the world. In 1 Corinthians 14.40, this shows us that God's will is to be done Decently and in order. I think you go back to anybody who did the will of God in the scriptures, I think they would tell you that the will of God is perfect and that it is sure and that you can always rely on it to go the right way. Another thing we see is that he draws us nigh. In verse 12, it says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Before, so if you think about it, if, if you're quickened, then you have to be dead first. If you're brought nigh, then you have to be separated. And that separation is caused by sin. We are brought nigh not only through Christ, but by Christ, through his blood, by a sacrifice on the cross. The fifth thing we see is peace. He is our peace. In verse 14 it says, For he is our peace, who hath broken, made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. If you think about that, one way to apply that would be to the Jews and Gentiles. Before Christ came and broke the veil of the temple, there was a separation between Jews and Gentiles. There was the Jews, which were God's holy people, and then the Gentiles were seen as unclean. Through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we see that that gap or barrier in the middle was broken down that is no more. This also signifies our relationship with God. We not only have to... Now, blood doesn't have to be spilt for us to be able to gain access to the Father. That's... That's what it represented when the veil was torn. The Holy of Holies was now available to all the common people. And so if we see that, when you see the word partition refers to a separation of an area of a country or people group. In Romans 5.10, the Bible says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled by the death of his son, and much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This is why there is no more need for the Holy of Holies. In verse 18, we see that we have access. For through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. 
Christ's separation was twofold because now the blood of animals wasn't required and now we have access to his throne room. Number six, he is our cornerstone. In verse 20 it says, and we're built upon the foundation. Actually, we'll go back to verse 19 for context. It says, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, which shows us again that we are brought nigh, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is the foundation. When you think about foundations, you think, well, my mind goes back to the parable in Matthew 7 about the foundations where a foolish man built his house on the sand, but a wise man built his house on the rock. Obviously, we know that a rock is, our more, is a more sure foundation and will hold against the storms of life. And this is a spiritual application that Christ is our more sure foundation. In 1 Corinthians 3.11, the Bible says... Oh. For other foundation can no man lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is referring to his sacrifice on the cross because we're sinless and not sinless. We have sin in our lives, so if we were to die on a cross, it would not take away the sin of anybody else, which is why Jesus Christ had to come down to this world and die. So if you think about that, like, I'm not trying to take pastor's message from this morning, but when you get the right view of God, you obviously get a view of the right view for other people. Your, I guess you could say, perspective on life should always be through the eyes of Christ because if we gain His perspective, we will see the world as He sees it and we will no longer judge. In, the, in Matthew, it says that, Judge not that you be not judged. Most of the time, people will think, okay, so if we judge, then we're going to be judged. That's not necessarily the case. When it says, judge not that you be not judged, it's talking about judging is not our place because we are just as sinful as anybody else. So if we're trying to judge them, that's why most of the world thinks that the church is hypocrites because they say we can't do this, and then when we're out in the world, we live like the world. The church is a called-out assembly. We're not called, we're in the world, but not of the world. It's like your perspective. Either the cap is half full or half empty. It's all about how you view it. When we strive to be more like Christ, our perspective will begin to line up with His, and we won't let our flesh get into the way. kind of reminds me of one of my dogs. Like when you're petting one of them, the other one always wants to butt in so they can be petted. That's what our flesh is trying to do every time we try to serve God. The flesh is always trying to get in the way, saying, me, 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 me. That's why in Galatians, I believe it is. Galatians. Yes, it is Galatians. Where Paul says, I have crucified daily, which means we have to kill the flesh. We can't just push it to the side and expect it never to return. Like Pastor was saying this morning again, you have to cut the head off the giant. I guess that's it. I'm sorry. That's right. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity I had to preach. Lord, I know I was super nervous. Lord, I thank you that you gave me this opportunity. Lord, please help me to strive to learn you more and get closer to you, Lord. Pray that my perspective would be resembling to yours, Lord. Thank you for everything you've done. Just now, I pray. Amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Heads bowed and eyes closed for just a few moments. 
I don't know about you, but as I was sitting there, my mind kept going back to the very first